Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck and I am the one with the raspy voice today because my son brought home some middle school germs. But thanks for joining us. And just I, I'm sure listeners, you know, if you're here, I'm a two-time tenure survivor of breast cancer. I am the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends. And when I have time, you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited to welcome my guest, Carrie Kim. I met her midway through my journey after my second diagnosis at a support group here in Portland, and she was always so such a huge inspiration to me, so confident and matter of fact about everything, and like, we can get through this. And recently, I saw her at an event, and I'm like, okay, you have to be on my show because you have always been an inspiration to me and you work at this amazing company handful which listeners you can find at handful.com they are our sponsor for this episode so go give them some love check on uh click on the our cause link because they are huge supporters of those who've been diagnosed with breast cancer and you can sign up to get 30 percent off lifetime of bras through their site and they do comfortable athleisure wear. That's like the made up word that we use. But um, so Carrie is a, I think, 15 plus year survivor of breast cancer. She um, she is one of those who early on opted to go flat because she just made that choice. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But one of the things we're really here going to talk about other than her extensive knowledge she's gained in this time period as a huge supporter and advocate of women who've gone through this is really how important fitness is in long-term survivorship. And it's something that many women struggle with because of all of the pain and the side effects that often come with a breast cancer diagnosis. But Carrie is going to talk about how she has worked through that. And she is the best title ever at Handful. She's the chief survivor experience officer. I love that. I want someone to give me that title. Maybe that's the title of my life. I don't know. But Carrie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Michelle. What a wonderful introduction. Well, as I said, you've always been an inspiration to me and I, you know, looked up to you, which is funny because I'm pretty sure I'm older than you, but uh, in terms of how you've handled yourself and in your journey. So before we get to the cancer stuff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, I am from the Pacific Northwest born and raised and lived in South Korea for a year, Amsterdam for a year, New York City for 10 years, worked in publishing and was an editor and writer, had my first child, moved back to the Pacific Northwest because it's the best place in the whole world. Better better place to raise kids than New York, in my opinion. For sure. For sure. When I was holding that baby in a tiny apartment and never leaving, I'm like, why am I here? So it's, Mm -hmm. it was a good decision. Um, Ended up coming back out here uh, my then husband, because my marriage did not survive can- breast cancer, which is quite common, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going to law school. I had a miscarriage. I had another baby. I was freelance writing. Start where we were going to start our new life when he graduated. And he's like, "Okay, I'm going in, honey. Won't be seeing you. I'll be working really hard." And then I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's kind of, was kind of the short trajectory of my life. <laughs> 
Well, you have two beautiful daughters, I know, who are now adults, and we'll talk about them a little bit more. But how did you find out your cancer diagnosis? So looking back, I can say that the first time I felt the lump that became the cancer or that always was, because if they say once it's palpable, it's been there for eight to 10 years, I think is what they say. Um, I first felt it when I was nursing my first baby at age 30. I remember thinking that I knew everything and Dr. Google was going to, you know, diagnose it for me. And I'm like, this is mastitis. And so I didn't even go. Yeah. yeah, Because you're way too young for breast cancer. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't Mm -hmm. even on my radar at all. So I was fixated on pregnancy and breastfeeding. So Mm -hmm. um, I just said, I called the doctor and I said, I think I have mastitis. Can I get some antibiotics? And they didn't even see me, you know, it was New York city. They were busy. Mm -hmm. So it kind of went away. It always felt funny on that side. And then I think during the miscarriage, it kind of flared again, but I didn't really think about it because I had been nursing a baby. And then when I had my then second daughter, mm-hmm. that's kind of when it started to really grow and explode. And so then I, we moved to Lake Oswego where I live now. And that was like right at that beginning stage of like finding new doctors and calling and they said, sorry, we don't have any openings for three months for new patients. And I said, well, I do have this lump. And so I do credit them with saying, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that was 16 years ago. So I actually think they were proactive and they did the right thing. And immediately he said, smooth, round, movable, all benign characteristics, probably nothing. Don't call your husband. Let's just get you in for an ultrasound. But when everybody gathered around the machine, that's kind of when I knew that something was wrong. And what treatment did you go through at the time? So it was already spread to nine lymph nodes under my arm, or or at least nine that they could see on the scan. And so um, I started with chemo first, neoadjuvant chemotherapy. They were like, let's not even talk about what kind of surgery you're going to have because we're going to shrink it and then you're probably going to end up with a lumpectomy. So I never even thought about what to do with the boobs. It was like, we need to survive. And I had, I actually was breastfeeding. And so it was like a wean overnight, get in the next day, like kind of rush, rush situation. So chemo, then we tried lumpectomy, didn't get it all. He's like, I can get it second time, tried a second time, didn't get it all. And he's like, I think I can get it the third time. And I just thought- That's when you kind of stop and think like, huh, is this this the right path? Yeah. And at the time, her two positive, all of the, the prognostic factors were coming out or the um, you know, it was ER positive, PR negative, HER2 positive, can be bilateral. I had very lumpy, young, dense breasts. And, you know, they were starting to intimate that both sides probably should go and it ended up being the right decision. But by the time I had gotten the second surgery, I was so far behind on radiation, which was going to be what took care of my armpit that mm-hmm. I didn't really have time to then see a plastic surgeon. So, at the time, there wasn't a word for what I have now. It's called aesthetic flat closure. And mm-hmm. so I wish I had, I had chosen it consciously. I really, I didn't. I just said, can you just make me the two most perfect symmetrical flat scars? Because I don't, I just didn't know if I was going to survive at that point because I went on to have um, the radiation, then ovaries, uterus all taken out hormone therapy, biologic therapy. I did a clinical trial because nothing I had done had crossed the blood-brain barrier and they were very concerned about my brain. And so I actually got into an amazing clinical trial that the drug was FDA approved only like three or four years ago. 
So I feel like I did my part to help those coming up the path after me, but they definitely gave me too much. It was like one of the worst experience. That drug, even though it was supposed to be targeted, was pretty pretty hard to take because I got way too much. They, they now have a much lower dose that they give to people. So um, I think it took five years for me to be completely like done with all of the active treatments. With two young daughters at home, you're going through all of this. Yes. And, yes. and unfortunately, probably your marriage falling apart at this time. And um, well, so you- I, he was making plan B because I mean, we didn't, nobody thought I was going to survive. So I'm not like forgiving it, but you know, you're like, Screw I, I live, you, whoopsies, but whoopsies, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Your loss. <laughs> now going through all of this and obviously you can look back on it with a different lens at this point. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you would change or, I mean, we're not, we, you know, try not to have regrets, but is there anything you think about and go, God, I wish I had done differently. Ooh, um, that's a really good question. I, I think that I, might have maybe opted for pumping the brakes maybe a little at the beginning. I do feel like, I mean, looking back now, it's like I lived, so maybe everything I did was was worth it. But it, it did feel like I was rushed into a lot of decisions that maybe I could have had a little bit more thought around. Um, I do have one major regret that's a little bit embarrassing, but when they took out my uterus, they were like, and we're going to take your cervix too. And I was like, I've, I've been looking at Google and can't you do a supracervical procedure where they leave your cervix? Cause I was trying to cling to any body parts that I could. Cause I felt like they were hacking everything away and they were like, Oh yeah, you can keep your cervix. Cause in my mind I was like, I don't want to just stitch to nowhere. I want like to have something. And so mm-hmm. it ended up being not a great choice because I've had nothing but problems with that part of my anatomy, but that's another, that's a talk for another day. <laughs> that, that's a whole nother show, all yeah, the things yeah. that go on down there. And yes, I, exactly. I fully yeah. understand. I, my second time around, I had the bilateral. I, I opted to have my ovaries removed because I was ERPR positive both times and done having children. And so they, every, all of my parts that identify mm-hmm. societally as a female are gone. Yep. And yep. I have definitely been through a lot of therapy about that. I still, mm-hmm. Um, was talking to my husband about that the other day. And I'm like, I still blame myself. He goes, this was not your doing. I'm like, I, I get it. But there's still that part of me that really struggles with it. But yeah, yeah. like we said, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to you about that sometime offline because that's oh, really, yeah. Yes, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, over drinks. I'll, I'll come yes. out and we'll go, we'll go sit on the lake and have some drinks. I like that. Um, so I really want to talk about how you made it through with your daughters at that time. Because I know for my diagnoses, my son was the first time 20 months old and I was stage one, like I had choices Mm -hmm. and I opted for a lumpectomy and radiation. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, shame on me. I was diagnosed again in my other breast and he was five at that time. And it was rough. Um, I had a huge support system, a lot of friends and family, and I had, you know, a much easier go around than you. And it was still hard. How did you Mm -hmm. navigate all that with your young daughters at the time? Well, um, I think, I was very lucky, first of all, that my mom just basically came and swooped in and tied my baby to her back, Korean style. And just I said, you got to love Korean moms. They're coming in and getting it all done. Okay. I mean, maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but it was, it was, you know, I don't think I could have done it without her. And so 
there was that. And there was also, I was so lucky that I was part of a preschool community that I think what happened to me was the first time anyone had ever experienced anyone in their circle Mm -hmm. um, having like a life-threatening illness. I feel like that happens a lot now that I'm getting older and the arrows are starting to fall, unfortunately, all around us. But I was lucky that that community just came in and took care of childcare and meals. And so I was very lucky in that way. But also I saw spending time with them as the break from being in cancer land all day and the comic relief of like, Oh, she pooped in the bathtub, like the little one or whatever. And like, just mm-hmm. I was blogging about it. It gave me creativity and just uh, a way to not just think about myself and have pity parties, but to be like, I've got to put a brave face on this because I don't know if I'm going to see the kindergarten bus. I don't, I don't want their memories of me to be of illness as much as possible, even though I was bald and had no eyebrows and, you know, all the things that you would think would make your children fearful, they took it in stride. And I mean, they were one in four, you know, during the early stages of it. So. But you're still mom. They look at you and they're like, oh, mom looks different, but Uh mom's still playing with us and still hugging us and she's still here. And I'm sure that also gave you as scary as it was huge motivation to yes. to do whatever you had to do to be here and absolutely and now your daughters are adults but <laughs> you do have a strong family history because i know your mother also went through this um yes. how how do you f- manage that with mm-hmm. they you know they i'm sure they remember bits and pieces but this mm-hmm. is something that they've lived with their entire lives essentially yes. and now that you are such a strong advocate in the work that you do how do you navigate that with them i think that that desire to be, make it positive for them or at least make the big c word not as scary and to talk about it a lot manifested young such that you know, I had no boobs. So that was also like, we'd be changing for the pool. And my younger daughter or my older daughter would say, your scars look like two mouths smiling at me. And so I'm like, okay, I think I'm doing a good job of not making them afraid when they start growing breasts. It's not necessarily going to be um, a scary thing, I would hope. But I, we didn't have a family history until me. My children's father is from New York City, Ashkenazi Jewish, which is like I think six times more likely to have the BRCA gene. So I actually came to the marriage saying, I'm bringing my cancer-free genes because his side had so many people with cancer. And so like, did I call it towards myself? Like I often think about that. So my mom's Korean, no family history. It starts with me. And I always thought about those statistics that your first degree relatives are more likely. I was always looking down at my daughters and worrying about them and never thinking about my mom having a higher likelihood. So when she was diagnosed about four years ago, it, it shocked me to the core because I was just didn't think it was possible. She did do HRT. There are other factors for her. It was caught early on a mammogram. She's doing great. She's almost done mm-hmm. with her treatment. But yeah, I mean, now there's an even stronger family history for my daughters that Mm -hmm. we just didn't know about. And I've done the genetic testing and my mom and I both have a quote gene of uncertain significance could be nothing, but we both have this deletion. So maybe someday that will be discovered as something that has meaning because if there's BRCA one, two, maybe there's three, four, five, you know, we just don't know. Exactly. I I think there's a lot of, of family genetics that have not been discovered yet. My grandmother passed metastatic and, um, Mm -hmm it's you just you never know um have your daughters been tested or will they at some point 
I, I hope that they will. I'm kind of counting on the 10 years younger in the next generation start getting scanned and hope that insurance yes. will cover mm-hmm. because they are both blessed by their father's side of the family and have enormous breasts. Like, I love you girls if you're listening. But <laughs> <laughs> and I remember saying to the pediatrician, how are they going to find it on self-exam like I did? And he's like, they're not. Like, it's no, I not didn't. possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not possible. So. Yes, my daughter already, she lives in New York City now, and she's already had her first scare and has gone in and, you know, they were going to take it out and they're like, well, just, we're just going to watch it. And now she's on an every six month ultrasound schedule. So, but honestly, I mean, having that first scare is actually a good thing because it's made her proactive. I mean, yes, yes, it's always been a part of her life and I'm sure you're like, okay, you know, do your, do your checks, do this, do that. But now that she's on a schedule, that's really great. Yeah. Because, you know, I like that perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fingers, fingers crossed. It will never happen. Yeah. But if so, it will probably save her life. Yeah. You yeah. know, so let, let, let's look at it that way. And um, is your mom here local? Were you able to help her when she was going yes. through? Yes, I definitely was at every appointment and walked her through it. And she's English as a second language. So I was, at you know, had to be mm-hmm. translating. And yeah, she's local here in Camas, Washington. So definitely gives a whole different perspective on the mother-daughter relationship. Like she came in and took care of you and your girls and then tables are turned and you're back taking care of her, which it's that it it literally makes me tear up because, Mm -hmm. and we're at the age too, where we're going to start taking care of our parents anyway. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic. We're that sandwich generation. Here we go up and down. God bless us. But we do have so much more to talk about. So listeners, please stay with us. We are going to take a break. If you would like to help Breast Friends to ensure that their mission, that no one goes through cancer alone, you can donate on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444. You can go on our website, breastfriends.org, and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you or a loved one. And remember, after the show, please go to handful.com and check out the Our Cause link to see how they can support you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. There are many things that forever change us after breast cancer, and one of them is bra shopping. If you can't remember the last time you got a new bra, it's probably been more than a year, and no bra should see a birthday. All women who have gone through breast cancer can benefit from comfortable activewear and making daily movement a priority, and that's where our sponsor, Handful, can help. Handful offers a lifetime 30% discount to all women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you need them, free additional prosthetic padding. Visit handful.com and click on Our Cause to get started. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I am Michelle Beck, and my guest is Gary Kim, Chief Survivor Experience Officer get that word out at handful and we are going to talk about fitness but she really has a wonderful journey that there's so much i want to explore so carrie how do you think cancer has changed you the most i mean i'd like to think i was self-aware and um, compassionate before i just think maybe i got to peek over the edge a little bit earlier than most people and value every second a little bit more like as time goes on and now I'm 16 years out, I'm not going to say that I don't have moments where I'm not grateful, but definitely gratitude every day that I wake up breathing is still there. And it makes, it has made my life have purpose and meaning that it may not have had before. And certainly the ride or die friendships that I've developed through breast cancer, like I don't think I would trade that for anything because it, it just transcends all of the noise out in the world. And I, I just feel like I have people who will be there like golden yes. girl style at the very end. And I'm not sure without that almost like a trauma bond, but in a positive way, because we all you know are here through it and have lost people together and yeah. stand at those funerals. Like there's something that is so powerful about it. And I just choose to find the value in it instead of the, you know, all that I've lost. I just don't, I just try to always focus on all that it has brought me. I, I'm not saying it's a, a gift wrapped with a bow because, you know, it has, it's. Because it does suck. Well, me, there's, yeah, there's, it sucks. It does. <laughs> but, but it's brought I, me good things. I 100% agree. And yes, do I wish I was not diagnosed twice? Of course. Yeah. But honestly, it was my second diagnosis that led me to breast friends to volunteer And actually, I got support that I didn't know that I needed. And then also, it brought me my person, um, Yvonne, who was my mentor at Breast Friends and is now like my best friend forever. And we would have never met and never connected. But it literally, as you say, it makes me so incredibly grateful. And the people that I meet, honestly, from doing this podcast, I feel like they're all my best friends now. Mm -hmm. And there's something I feel like so special about the breast cancer community that you join together because of it, it attacks our, our femininity and our womanhood, mm-hmm. but finding those friendships and those lifelong bonds. Um, and, and like you said, you, you have that shared trauma gives you support and you and Jen, my nurse navigator, Sarah, mm-hmm. like, and these, this whole table were at our event over the summer and it just gave me so much it filled my heart because knowing that this is what brought us all together yeah. and 
despite the cancer and we've moved on from the cancer, but now you have these wonderful friendships. Yeah. Um, but one, one thing you did mention, which I want to touch on is the loss we do experience yeah. being part of the cancer community. Um, 2001 was the nightmare for us at Breast Friends. We lost eight women, um, young, triple negative, and it was heart wrenching. And so that kind of brings up the fear of recurrence for so many, myself mm-hmm. included. How do you deal yeah. with that on a, a day-to-day basis for 16 years? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to, it kind of goes back to choosing to remain in the community, choosing to help people. You are opening yourself up to those moments of what if this person's story is my story? What if, you know, this, I lose this person after I've gotten close to them? I keep doing it. I keep reaching back through the fire because I, I do believe it is my purpose. But my best friend of also 16 years, she found out in March that she went from hormone positive to triple negative metastatic. And it's incredibly hard to not think, oh, I'm in the clear. I'm 16 years. And, yeah. and then to have it happen to the person who like, is doing all the things that I'm doing. So it, it is not a failure on her part. It is just the, the beast that we all yes. live with on our shoulder. And so it has renewed my, my purpose. It has renewed my yeah. gratitude. And now my part of my journey is going to be to help walk this person that I adore yeah. home. And so how do I not transfer that? I, I don't know. Like it's, it's really hard, but I wouldn't not spend every second possible with her. And so I just think life is more beautiful. Like the moments, I mean, she even said like, we would not be appreciating how beautiful it is sitting out on the deck in the sunshine with these butterflies all around us if it wasn't for what's happening to me. And she's right. And so I just, I try really hard to stay positive, but you know, cancer is a thief of joy for so many people. And we just, I'm going to try to keep finding the moments of being and the moments of purpose and um, just appreciation for what we do have. So that's a really hard question given where I am today and, you know, where she is. So thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. And um, uh, the thief of joy, that, that, that's a quote that I'm going to have to actually um, absorb and use because it's so true, Mm -hmm. but it, it does allow you if you let yourself to find to find additional joy in other ways. Like you said, just appreciating Mm -hmm. the sunshine and the butterflies and Mm -hmm. your day-to-day relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's, let's move on from that because wow, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm still teared up. So um, you were diagnosed young. What is something that you wish was available for all women who are diagnosed young? Uh, I wish that everyone got a prescription for a personal trainer to come and help them get back on the road to well-being and fitness because also a physical therapist, because if I hadn't done physical therapy, I would not be able to have the full range of motion that I have today. And those two things, I think you, first of all, you have to know to ask, they don't automatically give you a physical therapist after surgery. And then the fitness piece, like it's hard to be motivated when Yes. There's no like, oh, you get real skinny from chemo. No, you don't. You puff up from steroids. And so that can be very demoralizing that after all that is done to your body, that then you have to figure out how to deal with your changed metabolism. And there's definitely no tools. And maybe you get 
a little menu dietitian moment, but not really. I mean, I don't remember any of that. And so my dream is that we would get fitness as a prescription and then a support system. I did do an exercise after breast cancer study at OHSU that kind of felt like I was getting free personal training in gym. And mm-hmm. that study like later went on to publish it. Yes, definitively exercise after breast cancer versus the control the sedentary group. There was greater uh, long-term survivorship, greater outcomes, better recovery, all, all the things that of course we know, but we had to prove with data yes. and um, improve bone health from weight bearing exercise and jumping off of these boxes and all of that it improved bones. So I don't even know how many times my doctor has said weight bearing exercises, mm-hmm. but literally he was saying it to it when I couldn't move yes. my, my joints and the pain in my hands and my feet. And I'm like, well, I, I walk I sometimes yeah. Yeah. because everything hurt. And um, I recently just broke up with my AIs. Yay. Oh, yay. Um, <laughs> That's good news. It is good news. I took the breast cancer index test and I got great results from it. And so I am done. Peace out to those meds, which definitely helped my life. Not going to lie, but my quality of life was, was in the dumps. So I'm Mm -hmm. a whole, whole new person now. And I can actually like kayak and walk my dogs and get on my Peloton and do all these things that I wasn't able to do the past five years. So, and it makes sense that exercise is going to factor into factor into long-term survivorship and not just exercise, but overall fitness, physical, mental. Um, yes. And I know you've always been a fitness advocate, but 16 years out, are there still challenges um, from your treatment that you struggle with in dealing with your fitness? For sure. I mean, you're right. Those first five years, I wasn't running or doing crazy exercises. It was like, let's just start with walking, gentle yoga, progressing slowly. But by the time I finished my AI, I was running and now I, I can't run anymore. Like my, my joints are saying, no, no, you can't. My connective tissue, my osteopenia. So yeah, they, it, it's the it gift is. that keeps on giving for sure because of the ovaries being removed and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just try to work with, you know, like more of a silver sneakers, older um, wearing a weighted vest or lifting weights that are reasonable for my situation and not trying to be in a bodybuilding contest. Like, I, I don't think it needs to be that. I just think about the consistent um, practice of adding weight to what you're doing to functional fitness. And also, I've do- started doing a lot more um, muscle under tension with small movements like bar classes. I do think Mm -hmm. that is doing a lot for maintaining like healthy muscle tone. I just want to support my body. If I have the body of a 70 something year old because of all the treatments that I've done, then I really do need to be more proactive than other people to make sure I don't fall and break something or, you know, because, because that is really hard. I get injured very easily. And so I have to be hyper-conscious of where my body is in space. And that's why I really wish a personal trainer was something that insurance would pay for, because how does anybody know how to move mm-hmm. properly, how to lift properly without that? I mean, that's, that's a luxury afforded to only few and it's not fair. And it, yes, 
you know, and I, I myself struggle with osteoarthritis in both my knees mm-hmm. and, and it's the, the weight gain after the removal of my ovaries did not help. And the fact that I was not able to, to move and to do the things I wanted. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a comfort eater. So yeah. all of those things did not bode well for me. And now I'm finally mm-hmm. like trying to get back to move my body every day. But for you, yeah. what if you're going to say, gosh, today I'm going to, I'm going to move. What, what are your choices to do on an on average day? Well, for sure, I'm a big proponent of everyone should get a dog because it makes you go out and walk. So I always yes. walk my dog in the morning, but I also do at least 30 minutes of weight lifting three times a week. And then I do bar classes. The other always yoga, because to me, the mindfulness piece is really important. And to me, yoga can be a moving meditation, but it's those last five minutes of being outside of time and really tuning into your body because I do feel like even if it's metastatic, discovering it earlier, I would like to just know and be proactive. So if it's going to come back or other things like I'm struggling with a thyroid issue that came from the the things that are happening. And so mm-hmm. I just think the mindfulness piece, however you get there, and sometimes it takes physical exertion to then come to the end where you can relax into that and really tune into your body. Oh, Shavasana is by far my favorite. Yeah, time I, yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I When I lived in Southern California, I was a big proponent and I went all the time and I was actually pretty fit. And then I moved up here and met my husband and it just kind of fell off my schedule. And um, about six months ago, I'm like, I'm going to start doing yoga again. And I did one of the Peloton yoga classes and I was like, oh my God, this is hard (laughs) (laughs) because I hadn't done it in so long. And the post mastectomy and the surgeries, the arms and the shoulders just don't work the same way. So that has really been a challenge, but it's, it's something that I'm so focused on right now because I know that for me, and it's not because I want to fit in a certain size clothes, but I want to be healthier. Mm-hmm. I, I want to lose weight to put less pressure on my body and my yeah. joints. And I have an 11 year old son and I'm 51. Like I have a lot of life I still have to live. And yeah. so that is huge motivation. Every time that I strap on the leashes and go take my dogs out, I've developed this whole crazy waste leash system that Ooh. they can, I have, I have a lab and a golden, so they're big and strong. So mm-hmm holding leashes with my arms does not work. So yeah. I use the waist leash and then a, a um, kind of like a V thing that they're connected to and that swivels so they don't get all messed up. And those leashes have handles on them. So I actually put it on oh, TikTok the other day. I'm like, can I, I get say, any I likes for this? this. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it works pretty well because um, man, my dogs are big and strong. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I kind of want to move a, a little bit on um, the mental part of the cancer. So we talked briefly about it, but do you ever kind of sit back and think, God, how did, how did I get this? Where did it come from? And, you know, you, you said you and your mom have the, the deleted gene or SNP, or I apologize mm-hmm. that that's yeah. the way my brain works, mm-hmm. but how do you do you? And then how do you get out of that, that mind frame where you're like, oh, well, I got it by this. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we'll never know because it's a web of, of things. But yes, I do think about it. Lack of vitamin D because I live in a, you know, clouded climate, acid rain from China. Is that where it's coming from? I swam in the Columbia River. Was Hanford dumping nuclear waste? Yeah, I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Um, but I also think about the toxicity of my time in New York City and 
how I was on that subway, like in somebody's armpit, like wishing that I wasn't living that very stressful, yeah, you know, life. And so I don't know what it is, but it's hard to not wonder. Um, the products that we use, the the pollution in our environment, the estrogen in, you know, I was forced to drink a gallon of milk like every three days because my mom didn't have milk growing up and she thought like that was a sign of good health. And I'm sure those cows were injected with hormones because it didn't have labels on it back then. You know what I mean? So I, I try to just eat clean, live my life the best I can and know that there are things that are outside of our control and control what I can control. And that's also why fitness to me feels like a way that I can at least combat all of that negative stuff in our environment that we don't have control over. Yeah, 100%. And um, I, I love my son more than anything. And I'd always wanted a daughter as well. But I'm kind of glad that I. it's something I have to worry about a little bit less with him mm-hmm. because he doesn't have the ovaries that will absorb yeah. the hormones or the breast yeah. tissue or things like that. I mean, we're still very cognizant about what we put in our bodies because mm-hmm. I mean, yes, like you said, for the, the preservatives and the just the hormones that go into what we eat, it's a little scary. And um, clean eating is not cheap, but yeah. in the long run, it, it definitely can help us all out so much. Um, you know, it's baby steps, figuring out what works for you and your body and your family. And, you know, that's all that all that we can recommend. Be proactive and be thinking Absolutely. So we do need to take another quick break, but we have more to talk about with Carrie. Nominate yourself to be my guest or email me for any reason. Uh, You can reach me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. I would love to hear from you. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. There are many things that forever change us after breast cancer, and one of them is bra shopping. If you can't remember the last time you got a new bra, it's probably been more than a year, and no bra should see a birthday. All women who have gone through breast cancer can benefit from comfortable active wear and making daily movement a priority. And that's where our sponsor Handful can help. Handful offers a lifetime 30% discount to all women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you need them, free additional prosthetic padding. Visit Handful.com and click on Our Cause to get started. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Carrie Kim uh, from Handful. And we've been talking about the importance of fitness and long-term survivorship. But also, Carrie has been through this for uh, diagnosed 16 years ago. So she has a lot of knowledge, and we're just going to keep digging into all that. So, Carrie, what? Um, so in the term that you've been, you've gone through this, what have you seen change, hopefully for the better, since you were diagnosed? Hmm. I definitely think there are more support systems available and that they've just had time to flourish and grow like Breast Friends and other um, organizations, national and local. I think that there are definitely better treatments. I cannot believe just in the last um, few months since my friend became metastatic, two new drugs have been developed for her Mm -hmm. and for somebody where it's like, triple negative chemo only to have these new things being studied like that is just phenomenal to me. Um, I think that even some people aren't getting the more harsh chemos that I had to take and are getting a little bit more tailored to their um, prognostic factors, just not being over-treated, which I'm hopeful that, you know, it's hard for me to look back and say, which is the thing that saved me. But at the same time, like I did so much that it was like they just threw everything against the wall and and something did save you. But really, you don't know what it was. At what cost? Like yeah. the longer I live, the more I'm like, damn, should I have done all of the things that I did? Like, I can't spend a lot of time doing that because there's no going back. But I just I just hope that for the people coming up now, maybe they've learned some things from what we went through and that it did it. You know, they can be treated just the amount that they need to because people are going li- to start living longer. And especially if you're diagnosed early stage, like maybe let's just do the things that they need and not yeah, freak out and just, you know, I don't know <laughs> how so have the protocols more laid out. Knowing that, what advice would you give to someone who's newly diagnosed? Oof, I would say, make sure you always have somebody at those appointments to be taking notes for you yes. because you won't you won't be able to hear a lot of it, especially at the first ones. Um, I think be your own advocate as much as like people are, well, Google, I, I do think getting second opinions and asking other people and doing your, your own reading and research, like to me, information is power. I get that some people just want the white coat to tell them what to do, but I just, from what I've experienced, like no one can be the expert on your particular disease because there are so many subtypes and so many variables that the more educated you can be and be bringing stuff, the attention of your doctor or have a friend who likes to do that. Like I like to be that person for for (laughs) people that I know. So just ask, ask friends for help, ask interested people that, you know, like to research to maybe help you with that kind of stuff. Um, I think you would, you can't go wrong by knowing more about your own disease. Definitely. So don't go down the Google rabbit hole, but actually go yeah. to rep, reputable sites. Exactly. That, that and you know, list, you know, read about the studies and the different subtypes. Subtypes. Um, 
And, you know, even if you see, okay, well, I have this pathology and this is what's going on. And you see that something bad happens that may not happen to you. Cancer, it it does not have to be a life sentence. And many, many women do go through this. They're treated and they move forward. You're never going to go back to normal, but you have a different life. And hopefully you can find some gratitude like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. to appreciate it making you look at and smell the flowers in a different way Mm -hmm. and be more appreciative. But now you, I know that you help a lot of women. I, I best title ever, as I said, at, at Handful. <laughs> um, and being an advocate is really part of your job as well. But how do you make sure that you don't completely burn out when you are helping your best friend or mm-hmm. other women who are newly diagnosed? What do you What do you do to take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to exercise, but I do feel like movement, whether it's walking the dog yoga or doing like an intense workout, I do think fitness is a key way that I decompress self-care and take back control over my body when I feel like I'm becoming an autopilot, worry, anxiety, all of those things. Um, I think that stepping back and maybe not answering the phone when it's, I know, going to be a desperate phone call and calling that person back when I'm in a better place. Like Mm -hmm. I'll end up helping them in a different way and better than if I feel like I have to be on call 24 seven. I'm not a doctor. Like it's okay. Like I can, I can decide for myself when I can't handle it. It it actually took me a while to get to that point because I was answering too much. And I was leading the young survivors group here in Portland for seven years. And Mm -hmm. just when the numbers became so astronomical that like I couldn't possibly be for every single person as a solo leader, what they needed. Then I realized like I was doing people a disservice. And so then found multiple, like five people took over and like that is a way And doing yourself a disservice really. Yeah. I, um, in my time at Breast Friends, I, a couple of years in, I started doing patient calls and patient support Mm -hmm. and I realized it was really rough for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't compartmentalize well. And mm-hmm. so I was absorbing and being com- as compassionate as I could and empathetic. And it started to affect me physically yeah. as well. So I've, I've had to transition a little bit. And now I get to do this, which is talk all day long, which is, yeah. you know, my, my favorite <laughs> thing. Um, and, you know, I, st- I still do it every now and then, but it's, it's not easy. And you definitely need to remember, like you said, to figure out ways to take care of yourself. And um, it's funny because I've never been an exercise fan. Like, oh, I'm always mm-hmm. like, oh, I struggle going to the gym and this and that. But when I do it, oh my God, I feel so much better. Hundred percent. It's like you know that's what you should be doing, mm-hmm. and it's just taking that first step is the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Okay. Um. Let's dig into. I'm like had to look back at my questions. So I don't want to miss anything. Um. You kind of referenced it a little bit. What is it like to date after breast cancer? <laughs> because I, you know I, we're I definitely we're not talking about an expert on this. So many things, <laughs> but you know you've been single for quite a while, and yes, mm. some of it during the pandemic. And you know we want companionship in our lives, yeah. and yeah. you know that's you know we're kind of made in that way. So how has it been for you? And mm-hmm. you know maybe not advice, but some things you've experienced. Yeah, um, I have been pleasantly surprised. I think because I am upfront because for me it's like 
I think if I was reconstructed, I maybe wouldn't feel like no one needs to know that till it's time to know that. But for me, because I wear prosthetics, it's like might be a little bit of a bait and switch. And so like, I am very upfront about what somebody is getting into. And because breast cancer is so much a part of my work life and personal life, like I'm not going to not acknowledge it out of the gate. So being upfront about it for me has worked well, just because I'm, I'm a very sensitive person and I would rather reject myself by self-selecting only people who get it. And like, it's, it's shocking to me how many people have family members with breast cancer, sisters with breast cancer, and they get it. They get it. Like the, the ubiquitous nature of our type of cancer contributes to that sisterhood we talked about, but also everybody knows somebody. So it's, you you can't like throw a stick and not hit somebody with breast cancer. Unfortunately, it, like you said, it's so much a part of our, of our, of our life. And, Mm -hmm. but I, I really, I think what you're doing is the best way because like you said, you don't, you don't want to come to a point where you, you take off your bra and your prosthesis and you're you're like, like, surprise, you you have beautiful (laughs) flat aesthetic closure and they have no idea what that means. Um, and yeah. it's it can be challenging, and I I have gone through reconstruction, and I still mm-hmm. and I had a have a supportive husband, but it still it changes your life, it changes yeah. your your intimacy and your sex life yeah. because like for me, yes, I have reconstructed breasts, but they don't have nerves in them, and and so it's it's a whole yeah. issue of trying to figure it's a whole out new world, <laughs> yeah, and you know, but honestly, anyone who wouldn't continue to date you because of you or because of that does not deserve the fabulous hot woman that you are. Well, okay. Thank you. That's not what I thought you were going to say, but thank you. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it actually helps me filter. It's the greatest filter because then I'm not wasting my time on people who aren't willing to see deeper than just the surface. And I do believe that my heart just beats that much closer to to the surface of my skin because of what happened to me. And so I don't, I don't see it as I love a that. Negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. It's true. So well, it is that you, yeah. can, you definitely I like I'm myself. I'm feeling around my bra. I can't feel my heartbeat because I have, mm-hmm. you know, implants right there, yeah. but I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, you find, you find different ways to work out your intimacy and, you know, which can, there are other ways can also be challenging, but it's, yeah, I, I, I yeah. love that. That's the best filter that you can have. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a leg man, not a boob man. What can I say? <laughs> and with all of your walking and all that, I'm sure you have you have fabulous legs. So um, I want to talk a little bit about Handful. Um, we have a few minutes left and why they've chosen to be such huge supporters of um, women who've gone through breast cancer and that, that program and what, what you do really as the chief survivor experience officer. So Hample was actually founded by Jennifer Ferguson, a then fitness instructor who wanted to build a better sports bra, but she had a stepmother who died of breast cancer and consulted a mastectomy bra provider here in Portland who said, put the pocket up here so that then breast cancer people can, cause she really wanted her bra to also work for women with breast cancer. So the origin story was that that was always there, but people wouldn't listen to her because she was this little marathon runner going into mastectomy stores and they're like, get out. You don't know anything about breast cancer. And so Mm -hmm. after five years, I came into the company and was like, what is this lady doing? I don't need a bra. I'm flat. I'm fine. I don't need a bra. And because I really wore nothing for five years. And 
So I tried it on because she's just the most amazing. She can ask anybody to do anything and they'll do it. And somehow she got me to put it on. And when I looked in the mirror at Pete's coffee shop where we had met, Mm -hmm. I saw myself for the first time in five years and I wept and it was like, there you are. Like, oh, I forgot who, and I've worn it every day since. And I just happened to do a calculation yesterday at the office that it's been 4,000 days that I've (laughs) gotten up and put on a handful bra. And I just feel like it helps me. I was rounding around what was missing. Like, even though nobody's looking here, I was aware of what was missing and like protecting. Well, and, we, and now I'm like, we do. Oh, hi. We, yeah. we, we curve inwards to protect that area that's been so traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to put on one of the adorable handful, <laughs> you know, we say sports bras, but leisure bras or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's to make yourself feel more comfortable. And yeah. I love that. Well, and if a foundation garment is important for a regular woman, why wouldn't a foundation garment every day be important for someone who has had so much extensive surgery like I've had and radiation, which wants to involute, like my flesh wants to turn in on itself. So counteracting that by throwing my shoulders back and going into the world, looking people in the eye instead of like, oh my gosh, is someone noticing that I'm flat? Like it has changed everything about my, how I project myself into the world. And so for me, putting that on, getting dressed happy every day, picking a color and going out into the world really was life-changing. And I get to help people every day who are ready or choose to, because you don't have to wear prosthetics, but then a lot of women going through reconstruction will wear it for a little while. Women who are explanting will wear it for, you know, to get used to being flatter again. And there are just lots of places and stages in women's life where it makes sense to have the option for the padding. Awesome. Well, Carrie, God, unfortunately, we are out of time, but yeah. thank you so much for being here today and sharing. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So listeners, remember, go to handful.com, check out the R cause link, and you can sign up for your 30% off lifetime of their um, bras. And is it the rest of the leisure wear or just the bras? Is All active wear because if a cute outfit gets you to the gym, get in there, get some. Perfect. So go to handful.com, sign up for our cause, go to our cause and sign up because you will not regret it. And then you can find handful on all of the socials as well to follow and see what's new and what's adorable. So listeners, if you are a loved one, need our services, please go to breastfriends.org. You can make a donation there to help us, or you can text BF radio to 41444. You can find us on the voice America health and wellness channel wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch on the Breast Friends YouTube channel if you would like to see what's going on. Um, If you would like to nominate yourself to be my guest or to send me your warrior story, I'm at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. We will be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle back again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.